Welcome back, Brown Girls. It's Ashanti Golar, host of the Brown Girls Guide to Politics. Today, we're talking about how the pandemic impacted Indigenous communities. Here to help guide us is our first guest and my good friend, Anna Theachino, co-founder and executive director of Advance Native Political Leadership. She talks about the challenges Indigenous people have encountered during the pandemic and how we can support Indian country. Our second guest, Ali Young, is founder and director of Protect the Sacred. She'll share with us the importance and impact of cultural preservation across generations. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. We are joined today by a phenomenal leader who, honestly, I just feel, I feel really honored to know. We have Anathea Chino. Anathea, how are you today? Hi, Ashanti. Gawatsi, haupa to everyone out there. It's wonderful to be here. It is so great to see you. You're looking amazing. The listeners can't see you, but obviously you look amazing. We first want to start with just asking, how have you been during this time? There's a lot going on in the world. Today, we're going to talk about how the pandemic has impacted Native country. So how have you been? I I feel like it is like the reemergence of kind of like a back into like the sunlight. It has been really the last pa- the past year has been really challenging. I'm sure it's like for many people, the pandemic hit Indian country really hard and we were unable up until just a couple of weeks ago to actually travel back to our indigenous homelands at Acoma Pueblo. They've been closed to even tribal members that lived off the reservation. So I was just back in New Mexico. Mexico last week, and it was the very first time that I was able to um, hear the drum beat and um, feel the the rain and see the the monsoon skies in New Mexico. And it was um, I don't think I'd realized until I found myself crying that it was just it was the medicine that that really kept us feeling so isolated from our culture that we just hadn't experienced in our generation. So it was something that made me realize just how how beautiful um, and connected and our culture and people were just laughing and hugging and um, and still masked um, and still being very careful. But it has been it's been a very long journey and it feels almost surreal, to be honest. No, I understand that just even getting out again, seeing my friends and you realize, oh my gosh, I literally haven't seen you for almost a year and a half because, you know, you've been on Zooms and social media, but just that feeling of connection, it makes you realize how much we need that as humans, as people. So going back to 2020, when the pandemic hit, you are a leader in the Native space and the women's space. You help co-found Advanced Native Political Leadership. What were some of your first thoughts about how the pandemic was going to impact women and the Indigenous community, knowing that, I mean, I I immediately knew that these are going to be two of the hardest hit communities. And that was when we didn't even know how this was going to play out. You knew that women and our indigenous brothers and sisters were going to really take a brunt of this. 
Ishanti, we had no idea. I just, I, I can remember being on my last trip in March of 2020 and just not, we had no concept of this. There was nothing that we really understood about what, what the potential and what was going to come, um, um, come our way. Ultimately, I mean, like for, for Indian country, there was also, we just hadn't, um, we'd always felt like we'd always been really isolated. I speak specifically from my own community in New Mexico, and we've done a lot to protect our community. Um, and really just didn't recognize how very small things had really big impact. For instance, it is a thing that I think of kind of like as an after, um, almost like as an aftershock of the pandemic was um, when we had deaths on our community, we have four days of ceremonies. And when um, they became spreader events in the communities and people just really hadn't had any sort of concept of not honoring the journey to send our spirits home. And that's been something that I really feel has been deeply unsettling for many of us who had deaths in our family through the pandemic. Um, the other thing that felt really just, uh, just so specific to our community and such a huge threat was you had the, you have communities again, like um, some of the Pueblos in New Mexico that have very small tribal census. And if you only have less than 300 people on your tribal census, and you think about the impact of the pandemic, we actually could have wiped out entire communities had we not been very aggressive in shutting them down immediately. And for those of us that lived off reservation, I still lived in Albuquerque at the time, to not have access to our community and being able to see our family there felt so it felt unfair it felt like it was extreme it felt like we don't know we're doing everything right we're not the ones that are going to that are that are going to bring um covid back to the community there were a number of different things and ultimately it really took a lot of hard conversations at least in my family for us to get there indian country overall we were just launching and for like advanced native political leadership we just launched the organization in august we had all of these plans to do like big things in the field. And we were going to bring together the native pa um, national power building summit that we did. And we launched in, um, in our inaugural event in 2018. And we're going to bring people back together in 2020. We were like weeks out of planning and like confirming the space in Arizona and we're planning and we, the hotel that we were looking at working with would not let us out of a contract, even if it were an act like a pandemic, nobody had any idea what was going to happen. Um, so we decided not to move forward with it and instead did it online. The, the impact of that was really fascinating because we also had to learn technology that we'd never done before. So we reached out to people all over the country to join us like artists to join us. So we'd have little musical breaks, every single person that we asked to be a part of the um, of the conversations and the panels. Every single one of them said yes, and the result of that was brings over 600 people together for a national conversation held by Zoom. Um, but what it meant for our organization was an entire redesign of the plan that we originally invested in our first year as an organization. So, um, which then of course led to redesigning what election plans look like, what outreach looks like, what it means to develop relationships because we do that primarily in person um, and that is uh, and we also attend events and we are we are present um, in the most physical um, and like mental sense and we were unable to do that so like everyone knows everything changed um, last year uh, and it, it's been a very um, cautious entrance back into figuring out what feels good for everyone.
I relate to all of that. As someone who's leading an organization, you had to figure out all of these new things. So I do want to ask you about the, yeah, I'm just going to say it, the piss poor response from the previous administration to how COVID was spreading in Indian communities. Can you just tell us a little bit more about what you saw, why you think there was that horrible lack of response and how have things changed over the past year? I mean, I think like ultimately what we, like how things have changed, I can say is that like, um, we recognize that we have to take care of our own communities. I think like we've been really teetering in a lot of ways, um, not recognizing the impact of political office in Indian country. There was no starker realization that who we elect as president of the United States impacts every single one of us and every single one of our communities. Um, and I think like many people who had felt disengaged previously didn't understand the um, the actual, I guess, like institutionalized and systemic racism and all of the, and how white supremacy impacts um, our ability to thrive and survive and truly like just survive in like the most, like <laughs> the most obvious sense of that word. But I think that there was no no greater instance in 2020 that who we elect matters. What it meant for us, at least in like in our communities, again, I talk about like mostly like Indian country is that we were able to advocate directly with Indian health services through the through the Department of Interior and able to negotiate vaccines fairly early. So for our so for many of our communities in New Mexico and across the country that began with tribes distributing the vaccine as early as possible and doing education campaigns around getting the vaccine. As you know, very similar to the black community that our relationship with the medical field and testing in our communities is um, is very apparent. Our distrust of the medical field is um, palpable. Like it is something that we often talk about. I grew up in IHS. And so we talk about like, you know, our like distrust. And so we had to really dig deep and have a number of conversations with people about how important it was to get the vaccine. Thankfully, in many of our communities, our communities were able to get the vaccine, distribute them to people who wanted them, start an edge campaign to make sure that other people were getting them outside of that initial um, um, like a circle of people who were like lining up for it. And then further organizations or I'm sorry, tribes started then reaching out to non-native communities and then offering it to teachers and offering it to first responders and taking care of the surrounding non-native communities. So many instances in which like we were reminded that like we have to get our own, like we're, we have mm -hmm. to take care of our own communities. And so I think like we have used that as an opportunity to talk about the importance of electing um, local um, and national elected leaders. Which is why the work that you do at Advance is so important. And with the Delta variant on the rise, how are you all feeling? Because we also know that it's the unvaccinated that are catching the variant. And there are those who are vaccinated where we're seeing that it's able to break through. So are you seeing those concerns again arise in the community? It's really interesting. I feel like we're like in this place where I think so many people have been um, where it feels 
truthfully, it feels maybe not as threatening. I think like we felt like the, the impact of it being incredibly threatening, everybody was wearing masks, everything was shut down. And then the rollout of the communication from the very beginning has been really challenging for people, particularly like on the tribes to like deal with. It took a very long time for Acoma to open up. They just opened up for, um, um, for only tribal members, still non-native people cannot, um, cannot go into like our tribal lands. But the, again, the communication rollout has been that we need to put some pressure on unvaccinated people. And we're having these conversations within our um, our communities. Um, and I still feel that there's still like a resistance of that there is just a disbelief that it's just not me. Um, and so if we are having these conversations, I was actually just having a conversation with my dad about a cousin who was um, um, an anti-vaxxer that I wasn't aware of. And so I immediately just, it blew my mind because it's like we are similar in age and and she has two kids um, and is very active in the community. And so the first thing that I did was send an email and just like talk about, you know, like wanting to open up a conversation around it and like acknowledge why so many of it might be distrusting, but we have to be able to think about everybody else. Um, and so I feel like that it's going to take a lot of personal outreach um, in, in communities. I also think for places like I've just moved to Philadelphia and the rollout within the city was so challenging. And people were waiting in these incredibly long lines, like eight hours overnight. I mean, it was just so insane. And then all of a sudden it's, it's, they're doing it now at, you know, like, like street fairs <laughs> and, you know, they're trying to do it. And now people have decided that it's like, we're totally fine then. Um, and now there's like all of these rewards and, you know, like all of these like other options, but it's, um, it's really consistently surprising to me the ways we have to convince people to care about other people. It is, it's something that never ceases to, to amaze me that it, that you have to be convinced to care about people outside of your nucleus and like your close on um, the closeness of your family. And I, I definitely hope that the, the leaders that we're bringing into this movement are able to articulate why it matters um, in very compelling ways, because it, we shouldn't need to be convinced to take care of each other. I 100% agree. And when talking about leaders, we have seen so many young Gen Zers, you know, from Indian community advocate so hard, you know, for the vaccine to protect the community during this time. And one of the things that they really talked about that I thought was so important that didn't get a lot of attention is losing the history and the knowledge, especially when the elders were passing away and not a lot of that had been passed down yet. So can you just talk to us a little bit more about what has that been like? Because so many families lost history and knowledge during this time. It's really, it's like such a tragedy. I mean, I think often I've just actually started this series with my parents where, you know, they get a question every week um, and they answer it and I'm learning so much about them, which is really interesting. In our own community, we were starting, you know, like language programs before the pandemic and really have not adapted ways to be able to share that virtually. We have an app. It's very wonky. I think ultimately what we're realizing 
is that a huge gap in our community is our technological competence in a lot of ways. And so we are working to address that in advance by starting a digital fellowship and hoping to figure out ways in the future that we can really bridge almost like a um, like a story core and doing learnings and sharings where we can actually have things recorded. I think like ultimately it is going to be a real, like an understanding of how times change in conversations with tribal leaders it's like some of the things shouldn't be shared, you know, or shouldn't be recorded or shouldn't be um, trapped in those ways. And I think that some of the ways that we have thought about life previously and that it has is an oral history is we are going to realize that we're going to lose our access to some of our history if we aren't willing to adapt in some ways um, while like figuring out additional ways to make sure that those stories are secure and that people within the communities have access to them. And there's like some intellectual property and that sort of thing and like protections, um, which like, I think like is, there's, is a constant fear around, you know, around like cybersecurity generally. But I think that there are some ways that we're going to have to think creatively about capturing some of the, of the history and the knowledge of our elders. Anathea, I have enjoyed chatting with you so much. Before you go, please tell everyone how we can continue to support you, your work, and do our part to raise awareness about what's happening in Indian country, not only during the pandemic, but after the pandemic, to make sure that when the next big thing hits, because we have to be honest, there will be one in the future that we are doing our part to support our Indigenous sisters. Thank you for asking that question, Ashanti. I mean, I think like the most obvious pieces for me are to know the history of the land that you live on um, and then reach out to organizations that are still doing advocacy and still doing work and um, doing have efforts to keep the culture of that community alive. Um, additionally, I think it's worth reaching out to and looking up and being a part of and supporting organizations that are doing work in Indian country. And like off the top of my head, I think of organizations doing incredible work like Illuminated. Native Organizers Alliance, Protect the Sacred, Advanced Native Political Leadership, NDN Collective. And of course, I, Ashanti, you and I have a long, um, a long friendship and I have such respect for the work that you're leading at Emerge and how the work at Emerge has emerged in ways that is really inclusive of so many communities. And we've had a number of conversations about what it meant to bring in folks and develop curriculum in states that ensures that there is a very... Um, um, a reflective membership and recruitment of leaders to come into the space. And I can't thank you enough for being an incredible leader and a thoughtful leader and someone who is really, truly changing the world. And so I feel like organizations like Emerge New Mexico or Emerge America and New Mexico are, are truly catalysts for supporting Indian country. We cannot do any of this work alone. We all do it in partnership with each other. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I just, I appreciate you so much. Anytime I can just have your voice, your knowledge, you, to me, you are just one of the top leaders in our country when it comes to women and just making our country better. So I appreciate you for taking the time and we will make sure that we have links to all of those groups in the show notes, everyone. So just head to the show notes to find them. Anathea, again, thank you so much. I really appreciate you sharing all of this with us. 
I always learn a lot from you and I know that our listeners have as well. My pleasure. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful day and I love you so much, Ashanti. I love you back. Welcome back, everyone. We are about to dive into our conversation with Allie Young. Allie, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. You are a very busy young activist, and I'm really thrilled to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to be in conversation with you, too. First, tell us a little bit about your advocacy journey. What made you want to get involved and use your voice? A lot of different things. I actually started to use my voice back in 2015 when I was a part of a a group of people who walked off the set of Adam Sandler's film, The Ridiculous Six, because in protest of the portrayal of uh, Native women and the hypersexualization of Native women in that film. So that's that's where it began. And really, it's a, it's about representation and misrepresentation of Native peoples. And most recently, at the height of the pandemic, uh, when my nation, the Navajo Nation, was being hit very hard, I was called upon from physician friends and public health friends uh, from Indian Health Service in Shiprock, New Mexico, to help and connect with Native youth. And uh, I've been kind of on that journey ever since. You were in Los Angeles doing visibility work and representation work on screen when the pandemic broke out. And you just talked about being led to do that activist work and you started Protect the Sacred. So tell us a little bit about moving back, people calling you to work, you heeding the call and starting this organization. Yeah, well, you know, we saw an urgent need, as I mentioned, the physicians that I used to work with, kind of knowing the insider details about surging cases and kind of what their expectations were and anticipating the nation being hit even harder. So seeing that urgent need propelled me to take action and and begin Protect the Sacred. I mean, through Indian Health Service, it's a federally run program for people who don't know. And because it's a federally run program, there's a lot of red tape that and, and a lot of processes that even the, the public health departments at the hospital have to go through um, in order to even have a public health campaign approved. So working with these physicians, we, we came up with a bunch of ideas that were very urgent. And so, you know, I even got their blessing to take it out on my own to begin Protect the Sacred with my good friend Mark Ruffalo and some of our mutual friends like Wahela Johns, who is actually the director of Indian Energy under the Biden-Harris administration now. It's time to reconnect to our culture and revitalize language and, and medicine ways, but also to uh, remember to preserve that ancestral knowledge um, that comes from our elders who are being the most impacted. Can you tell us why for you it's so important that young people are a part of these larger movements? Because even given everything that we've seen over the past year with the pandemic, with racial injustice, with all of these racist attacks, we still have a large part of our youth population that's just kind of shrugging and doesn't think that they need to get involved. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I felt that around the election. And, and so as a part of Protect the Sacred, we were very much in the COVID rapid response mode. And then later in the year shifted to civic engagement and focused on the census, uh, census outreach, and then get out the vote. Uh, but during that time, I, I definitely felt that from a lot of especially Native youth who were saying, why should we participate in this colonial system that has never worked for us, that wasn't made for us? And absolutely understand that and, and agree with it as well. But for me, I, I wanted to make sure that I was engaging with them and connecting them on a cultural level because Native youth are incredible. And and since always, you know, we, we've got to see their power at Standing Rock. And then now, even through the pandemic, they, they did. They stepped up as leaders to protect our elders in, in very creative, innovative ways. So I wanted to meet them where they're at and I know that Native youth are more want to reconnect to our culture more than ever before and are are proud of who we are as a people more than ever before. So I, I know that we are raised to respect our ancestors and our elders who have gone through so much to ensure um, our survival and that we're still here today. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, we also fight for our Native youth, and we always say the next seven generations. And so, you know, the, those two uh, ends of, you know, the rainbow and revering them the way that we do, that's how I wanted to connect to them. I wanted to say, let's do this ride to the poles on horseback um, as a way to show respect and in memory of our ancestors who fought for our right to vote. Um, and because they you know, back then didn't have cars, many of them. And so they made sure to show up to vote, even on horseback. And so let's show that kind of respect, but also remember that our votes are for our future generations. And something that you talked about in that beautiful answer, as I mentioned, is just so much going on in the Native community, a lot of the inequities that the pandemic has shed a light on. Can you share a little bit more with us what it's been like to just witness it firsthand as an Indigenous person and as an advocate? Because we know at the beginning of this pandemic, communities of color were the hardest hit, but particularly our Native nation was very hard hit. And it was so heartbreaking to see everything that was going on. And we felt it in in our community, for me in the Navajo Nation, absolutely, we got to a point where we didn't know someone who had been affected by it. I mean, we knew every person that came up, I, I think, you know, our community is so close knit, that it really impacted us in, in a very emotional way. And especially when we began losing many of our elders. So I believe the death toll in the Navajo Nation caused by COVID-19 is, I think it's a little above 1,200 people. And I, I know that over 60% of those deaths are our elders, 60 years and older. And so that's a lot for us to, you know, wrap our heads around because that's exactly what we were trying to prevent. And it, and it angers us because, you know, that we could have prevented those those deaths. Um, with the help of the federal government. And it was very 
we, we were very angry knowing that we were left out of the initial stimulus package and it took um, amazing people like Deb Holland, our Secretary of the mm. Interior, Deb Holland. And uh, (laughs) yes, she's amazing. I love her too. And Congresswoman Sharice Davids to fight for our inclusion. And then we finally got the funding that was then delayed. And so that's, that's why Protect the Sacred launched. That's why a lot of different organizations actually uh, were created during the pandemic, like Navajo Hopi COVID Solidarity, I think they're called now. But because you know, that mutual aid had to happen in order for us to come out of it the way we have. What do you see next for Protect the Sacred as we start to come out of the pandemic? What are some of the new challenges that you think you'll take on? We definitely want to, a lot of our work was focused on COVID (laughs) because it had to be, and we're still in the pandemic, right? So we're, we're continuing with that work. I'm actually organizing a town hall that will take place on July 14th with a lot of leaders within Indian country and also leaders of organizations that have come in to collaborate and work with Navajo Nation and within Indian country like CORE and Johns Hopkins University to discuss, you know, our experience. It's called Tribal Voices from the Pandemic and to discuss our experience through this pandemic and really speak about those homegrown solutions that that work. And through partnering with our ally organizations and coming up with um, with solutions that we've we've had to that, you know, that we were forced to. But also it is proving like the vaccine rollout that um, when we're given the resources, the adequate resources and funding that we're capable of implementing it within our own communities, our own tribal communities. And that is an act of sovereignty. And that's the relationship we should have with the government. And so I do hope that people from the new administration, at least here the town hall, we've reached out to them to participate. But if they don't, to at least hear our conversation. And I really want that relationship to be strengthened and for them to see other leaders within Indian country to begin building those relationships. And then aside from that, you know, we're also focusing on Native youth leadership development, you know, coming up with really creative ways to engage and empower our Native youth who are beginning their leadership journeys, helping them with access and resources and tools So we have our Native Youth Summit that's tentatively planned for uh, the end of August and then our BIPOC Youth Summit in November. And, you know, the idea around the BIPOC Youth Summit is to bring together youth of color from all communities across the country focused on Indigenous issues. So it's all of these other youths of color who are learning about um, native history and indigenous issues and how to be allies to their native peers. And I, I think that's an important lesson to instill in our young people, because as adults, we're also just figuring out what it means to to be a good ally. So I, I'm, I'm hoping that, um, you know, we can pull together a good group and have some some learning and unlearning that needs to happen. That's going to be awesome. Thank you for doing that. So one more question for you, Allie, as we wrap up, what advice do you have for our listeners 
to support your work in the Navajo Nation and to support the Native American community at large. Follow us and our work. We have a website, protectthesacred.care, and we're also on social media, uh, on Instagram. It's at protect the sacred now and then on twitter it's at protect underscore sacred um and so we're you know very active we're always posting about our events and ways that you can get involved and um, we like to uplift other native organizations that are also doing incredible work across indian country ali thank you so much for joining us and thank you for all the incredible work that you do thank you for having me There have been so many heartbreaking stories coming out of this pandemic. Some of the saddest ones involve when elders in a family have passed due to COVID and families have not only lost a beloved person in their life, but family history that has yet to be passed down. I read a report from the Center for American Progress that showed at one point during the pandemic, the Navajo Nation had the highest infection rate in the country worse than New York State, and even greater than that of Wuhan at the height of the outbreak in China. This blows my mind. It consistently angers me the way that Indigenous communities are treated, from voting rights to the large number of missing and murdered Indigenous women to this pandemic. Most people don't know, or frankly care to know, the issues that Indigenous peoples face. And the fact that it's barely covered by the mainstream media doesn't help. This is why we heard Anathea mention that people should definitely follow Indigenous organizations and press to stay up to date, which is something that I do. You also heard Anathea say we need more Indigenous people in elected office. This is a straight fact. One of the many reasons why I was such a strong supporter of Deb Holland becoming Interior Secretary is because I knew what having her in that position would mean. I literally told my friends I would lose it if Deb was not confirmed, because to no one's surprise, she faced a ton of scrutiny during her confirmation hearing, just like all of the other women of color nominated for key positions in the administration. But that's another conversation. Lucky for us, we now have Secretary Deb Holland, who is fighting for resources for Indian Country during the pandemic, created a unit to investigate missing and murdered Native Americans, which is housed within the Bureau of Indian Affairs, and is remaining fierce by protecting the land of her ancestors. This is why representation matters. This is why inclusion matters. This is why leaders matter. So in conclusion, take the time to learn about the land that you live on. Take the time to learn about how issues are impacting Indian country. And when you're doing your advocacy, take the time to make sure that you're including the indigenous community. Thank you so much to all of our listeners. Please take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more information on the Brown Girls Guide to Politics, check us out at thebgguide.com 
and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The BG Guide. The BGG Podcast is produced by Wonder Mia Network. You can find them at wondermianetwork.com. We'll be back next week where we'll talk about the pandemic's impact on students, teachers, and our entire educational system. Until next time, Brown Girls. Are you ready to co-create the world we want to live in? Then I recommend you join the community listening to Our Body Politic, a political podcast that's by and for women of color with everyone welcome to join the feast. The show offers a new view of the news, making politics personal with host Farai Chidea, a veteran black woman journalist who has reported all over the U.S., from Standing Rock to Air Force One, and covered every presidential election from 1996. Each week with her passion and decades of experience, Farai gets real with women you need to hear from, like Senator Tammy Duckworth, Interior Secretary Deb Holland, Representative Rashida Tlaib, journalist Amnon Nawaz, author N.K. Jemison, and more. So if you want your politics news to lift you up and be useful in your daily life, then listen to Our Body Politic. You can also help them shape the show and the future by sharing your thoughts with them. Subscribe to Our Body Politic wherever you listen to your podcasts.